Here at So Here's the Thing, we value participating in your local community. Last season, we did a land acknowledgement before every episode, and although our intention was to honor indigenous communities where we live, because we are a digital publication, not everyone listens from the same tribal land. This season, we are taking 25% of our profits from ads and Patreon and donating it to the Duwamish tribe through Real Rent Duwamish. We encourage you to use the website native-land.ca to look up your local tribes and find ways to forge authentic relationships and donate to them directly. Here at Holiday House Media, we acknowledge that we record from and live on the unceded ancestral lands of the Squamish, Stillaguamish, and Duwamish people, peoples that are still here, continuing to honor and bring to light their ancient heritage. We respectfully ask our listeners to research whose land they occupy. Fortunately, an indigenous-run nonprofit website called nativeland.ca makes it simple. Just type in your home address and it will give you a list of tribes whose land you live on, as well as links to learn about each tribe. Once you know, do your research on those tribes. Many have options to donate or pay rent, so to speak. If you are in the greater Seattle area, the Duwamish tribe has made this incredibly easy with real rent at https colon forward slash forward slash www.duwamishtribe.org forward slash donate. We use a template for this land acknowledgement from the Seattle Mennonite Church, which is posted on the Duwamish Tribe's website. We thank the Duwamish Tribe for making this information so accessible. Hey fam, this week we got a quick content warning for you. We're discussing the movie The Color Purple, and The Color Purple movie does have content warnings of domestic violence, physical, uh, verbal, and emotional abuse, rape, statutory rape, rape of a child, and incest between father and daughter. Whew, that is a lot. It's an intense movie. It is an intense movie. If any of that content you feel would be detrimental to your mental health to hear about, by all means, please skip this episode and we will happily see you again next week. Hello! Hello! And welcome back to So Here's the Thing. With Grace and Carly. This is a little segment we like to call So Here's the Thing. About last week. And y'all... It's been a week. It's been a week. There's <laughs> Had a, a rough week. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that both Carly and I are not at privilege to discuss just yet about this week. Um, and I think some of it eventually will probably grace your ears or not. Um, but right now it's not appropriate to share so what you're going to hear today is something that happened this morning, this Saturday morning. Um, I woke up angry is what happened, which happens all the time these days to me. I woke me. up tired. <laughs> I just wanted to be involved. Carly woke up tired. Carly's already heard this rant. I did. I was participating, so I'm ready. I'm- if if I have not explained this before on the podcast, and I think I have, but I if I have not explained it before, I um, recently, as in like a year and a half ago, started working at a, uh, a transitional housing facility, um, which is basically moving people out of homelessness and into permanent housing. So I don't know all there is to know about social services and homelessness, but I know a lot more than I used to. And I think also what I've learned is that I have developed a massive sense of 
patience and understanding for people experiencing homelessness and a very, very, very short rope for (laughs) anybody who has anything to say about it who is uh, not involved in the solution or has experienced it themselves. And honestly, like, it's earned, though. Like, you guys, Grace, she's great. And her work that she does, she's very good at. And I just, everyone sing her praise because she's amazing at the things that she does. Um, So it's not even like, well, I know better than you because I am smart. It's like, no, I am, like, there and helping people and doing the things so, like, I do know more than you. And, like, your fake compassion is nothing to me because you're not doing anything. So, like, it's earned. So she's speaking with absolute credibility here. I'm not even an authority to the point where someone who has experienced homelessness would be an authority. I just... just know more than, like... Know more than this motherfucking pastor (laughs) in downtown Seattle. He wrote an op-ed piece for the Seattle Times. Yes, I'm here to complain about an op-ed piece in the Seattle Times. And also, Seattle Times, shame on you for publishing this, first and foremost. What is wrong with you? That's the thing. That's the thing. (laughs) Second of all, this guy, I will name drop him because he published this article under his God-given name, Adam Sinet... Is oh, a pastor Adam. at... Let me look this up really quick. I'll He's, just talk about Adam. How dare you, Adam? Hey, what the fuck, Adam? Why would you write this horrible thing? Pastor and- slash theologian. Well, guess what? So is my dad. He's got a... <laughs> not PhD, whatever the equivalent of a PhD, he's got a, he's got a, um, doctorate. doctorate. He's got a doctorate <laughs> in ministry. So, so you're in with the big dogs. Adam. He works at downtown or preaches at downtown Cornerstone Church, which I believe is in Belltown and has written this article about how true compassion is not only saying yes, but also saying no. And when he says saying no, what he means is saying no to homeless people sleeping in tents and putting needles not in the trash, basically throwing needles on the ground, or saying no to, you know, sex trafficking that's happening on Aurora, which I would just like to point out really quick is the way... (laughs) conservatives and people who are not trying to be a part of the solution talk about the sex work that happens on Aurora. It's all sex trafficking to them. Like, it's actually not always that. A lot of it is perfectly consensual Mm -hmm. sex work. Mm -hmm. And y'all don't want to talk about that. You want to talk about... Because sex trafficking is real. It exists. It is a huge problem. But... They want to frame the narrative as if the only thing happening on Aurora is women getting horrifically taken advantage of instead of women monetizing their bodies in a way that they just don't like. Um, We love conservatives. Oh, my God. I hate it. I hate it. And I also, I'm, I, he's, his concept is that it's not compassionate for, like, to let somebody, to enable somebody into, like, flaming out their life like that. And that would make sense if there were another option for people living in tents. Like, you have to, you cannot say that unless you are ready to pay their rent. Adam, are you going to pay their rent? Because if not, how is it compassionate to say no? What does that even mean? mean? (laughs) Say no to people living in tents on the street. Where the fuck do you think they're supposed to go? It's oh. so. It's such a weird phrasing. It's such a weird phrasing. It was weird and also, you, told you me this don't morning. have the authority to say no to that. You are just a goddamn pastor at a Belltown church. What are you going to do? What are you going to fucking do about it? Walk by them and be like, no. 
We're, I am. And then they're going to pick it. up their tents and be like, you're right. Compassion. You're right. Before this point, you were enabling me. And now you're not. <laughs> and I have been shown compassion. I'm going to change my life around. It's I I, it, I don't want, even want to validate it by saying it doesn't work like that, because I feel like that's infantilizing it to an extreme degree. I just think it's funny that it, I just a picture Adam walking down the street and being like, no, that is <laughs> no. <laughs> No. <laughs> no. There. I fixed you. I Are you better? Fixed it. I fixed the problem, everybody. Don't worry about it. I fixed homelessness. All you had to do was tell them, actually, no, you can't camp on the street. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm also just, as a Christian, flabbergasted and disgusted that anybody who preaches from prime real estate in Belltown is coming with this rhetoric, this Absolutely, like, the anti-Jesus rhetoric of how to work with people who are unhoused. Like, if this is what you think of homeless people, get the fuck out of downtown. We Stop taking up prime real estate. There are a million organizations, several churches, Mm -hmm. that would love that building to To minister to that population, to actually help them. And you think this about them? You think this inhumane garbage about them? Get out. Get out. Get unceremoniously, get out of downtown. Not good. Oh my god, it made me so mad. It still makes me mad. I just also I'm I'm I am completely sick of hearing anyone's opinion on homelessness who has not actually spent any time talking with a homeless person, working in social services, being homeless themselves, or taking considerable time to educate themselves, Mm -hmm. especially when it's actually very easy and straightforward to volunteer. You could volunteer for like four hours at a homeless shelter somewhere, one time, and get a much better sense of what's going on. Yeah. But so many people want to add their two cents... And they need to take their two cents and their, not their building, but the people in their building and, and shove get it out of town. I was going to say shove it up their ass, but also oh, get out of get town. Get out of town Jesus. and shove it up. You. This took longer than five minutes, y'all. I'm so sorry, but I was just mad about it um go ahead and email our podcast email or message us on the socials if you want to know about how to get involved in the local seattle area in aiding um social services and homeless shelters i actually do know a fairly decent amount now so uh hit me up if you're interested i'll try to get you plugged in and uh, yeah on to our episode which has very little to do with what i just talked about but yeah that's the podcast (laughs) hey Hello. Hello. So here's the thing about the color purple. Aha, yes. Not the color purple, but the color purple. Yes, the color purple is a great color. Um, <laughs> but today we are talking about the 1985 epic tale based oh, on so the good. 1982 book written by Alice Walker. Um, we just watched this movie for the first time this week, actually. In case you haven't seen it and you want to watch it before we, uh, we dive right into the conversation, it is on HBO Max. HBO Max? Yeah, it's on HBO Max. Well, we have HBO Max. I don't know if it's on the regular HBO. (laughs) Who knows? Um, but it's on HBO Max. I 
recommend watching it. It was fascinating. I I actually picked this for the podcast based on the book alone. I thought there was a much more considerable time between when the book was released and when the movie was released, but there wasn't. There then was like, we looked it up. There was like a three-year <laughs> lapse, um, and so there, the things that the book does and the things that the movie does are pretty darn similar in terms of where it sits in history and why it is ahead of its time. Ahead of its time. <laughs> Don't sue us. <laughs> anyway, um, so to dive right in, we probably want to just talk about the, the plot. Yeah, the plot of the the, the story, which is going to be, or the plot of the movie, which is going to be a little bit difficult. <laughs> Because I tell you what, folks, it's a two and a half hour movie and, and it is an epic tale. Packed, but in a good way. Like, think lame is, but genuinely much better. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, there's action happening all the time, but unlike, like, Dara, like I was telling Grace, I was like, unlike Dara Van Hansen, where it was like, be sad the whole time for this two and a half hour movie, this one was like, we're going to take you through all spectrums of emotion, but like, in a nice, good you want to watch it and you're intrigued by it and it's like not just sad all the time yeah (laughs) our tale begins in 1909 so this is set um much before it was it was released Mm -hmm. but set in 1909 um or begins in 1909 and uh we meet our main character Celie. she is uh 14 i believe and We will also be putting a content warning on um, this episode because the content of this story is just by nature really traumatic. Mm -hmm. But it's because it covers someone's life who goes through just a massive amount of life. I can't even find a better way to describe it. There's just such a wide array of experiences that this character has throughout the course of the story. Um, But... At the very beginning, she finds um, herself with to be pregnant with her her dad's, and again, we're gonna give some spoilers here. Who she believes to be her father's child, mm-hmm. um, which is just a mess, and she's trying Horrible. to protect her younger sister from, her from same that fate. same fate. And then they take the kid. Yeah, they take her baby, um, and she, in narration, we find out that she has had another child that's been taken from her as well. Um, She's and again, 14. 14. She's 14. 14. Um, and, like, it's 1909, so, like, things were happening early, but 14! Yes, 14 years old. And, like, her sister is younger, and she's like, uh-oh, gotta watch that. And I'm like, ah, but you're only 14. It was just, it was a lot. Very mm. messy. And almost immediately after that, a man in town, um, I don't know that we actually ever learn his last name. Um, oh, his first name a later character uses, but I forget yeah. what it is now. Uh, he uh, sort of he comes, a, to, comes to ask for her hand in marriage. Or no, he comes to ask for her sister's hand in marriage, which again, Sisters, yeah. her sister is like 12. Her sister's like yeah. 12 years old, and this man is like, I would like a wife because my wife is dead, and she and can't have... raise the children anymore or keep up on the chores, and my house is a mess. Which is the most insane reason to ask to marry someone. <laughs> I get that that was, like, common 
back in 1909, but it is insane to watch a conversation where a man goes up to another man and is like, I can't clean my house, so I would like to marry your daughter. What the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? His name is Albert. Albert, that's what it is. His name is Albert, but Celie, our main character, does not call him that. He does not allow her to call him that. She calls him Mr. So, all that to say, the dad is like, you cannot have Nettie. Because I want Nettie. Basically, because I want Nettie. (laughs) But he doesn't say that, but, like, he says, you can't have Nettie for some undisclosed reason that I'm not going to tell you. But you can have my oldest daughter, Celie. And so he begrudgingly accepts another insane thing. I'm like, what? (laughs) What? It's very biblical. Where, like, the guy in the Bible who is like, I want to marry your daughter. And the dad is like, aha, aha, I trick you into marrying my other daughter. And he's like, okay, well, can I also marry this other? (laughs) Lawless land. Lawless land. (laughs) The old times. The olden times were no joke. Um... So, all that to say, Celie goes and lives with Mr. And actually, she never bears any of his children. Like, no. she doesn't actually ever get pregnant with him. She she lives in his house, though, and raises his other children. He's got, like, five or six little it's... rats running around everywhere. Yeah. Um, and we get kind of a time lapse uh, here. Not very much. Not very because much. Because then her sister comes and, and her sister oh, stays right. with them for a little bit. And, like, that is the thing that is bringing her, like, joy and happiness. Because Mr. is not nice to her. Yeah. Like, and he doesn't... Horrible... As most abusers do, he, he beats her, but he only... He beats her when they're alone or, like, with the children. If there's company over, he does not hit her. Yeah. Um, And so she lives for company being over just point blank, but specifically her sister, who she loves dearly and was worried about at her father's house. And Um, her sister was like, yeah, you should be. Um, It's not great. (laughs) It's pretty bad. And so, can I stay with you? And and they do for a little bit until Mm -hmm. Mr. is like, you know who I wanted to marry? It was Nettie. It was Nettie. So I'm going to try to, like, come on to Nettie in the woods. And Nettie, like, beats him the fuck up. Like, she... She swings her books at him. She goes for the jugular. And I... (laughs) With a pile of books. Lived for that moment. It was a great moment. And, like, well staged as well. I know we haven't talked about this. We've mostly plot. But, like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to sidestep here and be, like, it's not hard to watch because they go like off camera and you can hear like a struggle happening and then she comes running back on running out and he's like screaming in pain screaming in pain and stuff so it's like it is well done as well where it's not just for the sake of showing something no yeah you don't actually see anything horrible happening you have the suspenseful build to it and then you don't actually see I mean, we don't even know if anything really does happen, but no. not much could have occurred because very was... little time lapsed, and then he was, like, screaming in pain, and she was running away. Yeah. Um, tragically, though, as righteous as that moment was, uh, then Mr. decides that Nettie has She's to go. She's gotta go. Um, which is probably the second worst thing he could have done in that situation, I'm glad it wasn't the first worst thing he could have done in that situation. Mm. But he does but basically he, throw her off his property, and she has nowhere really to nowhere go back to, go. to. And it's devastating for Celie. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> so that kind of breaks her spirit a little mm-hmm. bit. 
not forever. That's the point of this whole movie. But yeah. it, it breaks her spirit for a little bit. Like she, she. That's when we get the big. That's time when the lapse. time jump. Because I think you're meant to just assume that for many, many years, mm-hmm. like for probably at least 10, 15 years, life is just like that. Like she's, she is just yeah. getting abused, and it's awful. She hates. She hates having sex but, with Mister and. He is also, he's also, like, terrible at it, yeah. and it it is also, it's a form of rape. It wasn't, at the time, legally considered that way, mm-hmm. but she clearly does, does not, not want like it. it. It makes her incredibly uncomfortable. She, mm-hmm. like, leaves her body when it's happening. It's terrible. Yeah. I will say, though, in the time jump, she learns a few things, because... When we when we cut, catch back up with him, and he's like getting ready to go out and stuff, and she's just like this lovely scene, and because the scene has the show this movie, I don't know what we're talking about. This movie has levity to it. Mm-hmm. You see this scene where he's like running around trying oh, to yeah, find all his stuff. Oh yeah, he's forgetting all his shit, and, and she's he runs just like back holding into the room, it. and she's literally just holding and stuff. And then he for like him. runs out, and she's he's like, "Where's my shoes?" And she comes back, and she's, she's holding like, it. Here are your and she's shoes. like, "That dude, dude, but she's got this tiny little smirk you on her." Dumbass bitch. <laughs> And it's just, it, it, it cracked me up because I was like, yes, yes, Seely, you know. <laughs> she has such a sense of humor even, yeah. even through all of this, which is great. Whoopi Goldberg does an oh, so excellent good. job in this role. Which like, is debuting, too, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Because they're so. like... Um, all that to say, she and they hinted this beforehand, like, it's it, her husband is in love with this, like, blues singer that will not marry him and he's angry at Celie because she's not Suge Avery who is who he wanted to marry which is like whatever you know I grumpy grumpy, grumpy is not the best word but like you know begrudging married men who are like I wanted I to marry wanted someone to marry else is like yeah it's tired <laughs> but I think the the notable thing in this is that Celie don't give a shit like <laughs> yeah. she she is clearly like I did not want to marry, want to marry you, anyway. you either <laughs> um, I don't care that you're in love with this woman. Please yeah. just leave me the fuck alone. But then this woman comes over. She um, comes over. And then... Things- well, actually, we should explain I the Oprah Winfrey character, who, like... Oh, yeah. Mr. Well, Son marries... Plot B. Oprah Winfrey. Um, B, but, like, also good. But B plot. <laughs> it's great. It, th- this is just her kind of... Seely kind of seeing a woman be not completely submissive. Yeah. Um... Oprah Winfrey Oprah plays a great character who is not even remotely submissive to Mr. Sun, who by this time is old enough to, like, get married. And and Oprah bosses this little man around, and it's great. It's so much fun to see. He's like, I need um, a sandwich. And she's like, you know where it is? Like, make your own sandwich. Literally. And... And Mr. tells his son, it's like, you gotta beat that woman, or something stupid like that. Something gross. So he tries. He tries, and he gets the shit beat out of him. (laughs) And it's so funny. And and I think Celie is seeing this... Mm-hmm. woman actually sort of claims she some of her power. She learns so much. Yeah. Like you just, you watch her learn. I mean, you follow her from mm-hmm. a very young age and stuff, so you see her change and grow, and, and all of these characters that we meet are fleshed out enough for us to see how they affect her and stuff. So, Celie's yeah. fleshed out. Um, Suge Avery is fleshed out and is Which is, great. yeah, the next uh, thing, next she thing she comes to visit. Suge Avery, the blues singer, mm-hmm. um, and 
Mr. is just delighted. And you actually see this a whole lot in the yeah. movie. In the book, like, they're clearly, she's there to, like, hook up with him. She's not going to marry him, but she's there to hook up with him. And again, you expect the way the story goes for Celie to be the, like, the sad spouse that's like, why won't my husband love me? She don't give a shit. <laughs> because she... She does not love her. ...is also in, in love, love with, with Suge, Suge Avery. Avery. <laughs> and... They, honest to God, I kept waiting, and this is funny because I've read the book, so I know this doesn't happen, but I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop, like, for it to become a cruel joke that Suge Avery was, like, also interested in Seeley because that's often what they do with characters mm-hmm. who are, like, socially ostracized. Um, and then, and then, of course, then, you you know, that character comes back and is like, oh, actually, I'm in love with you for real. Very, like, <laughs> she's all that situation. But they didn't but they do didn't. a she's all that. It's very, she's... like, Shugivri literally just genuinely cares for cares Seeley. for Seely and is attracted to Seely. And yeah. they share what is probably... <sighs> It's more ambiguous than it should be because it's not even remotely ambiguous in the novel, but they share a gay kiss in the year of our Lord, 1985, 1985. which is in the damn middle of the AIDS epidemic, yeah. which is a big deal. And, and also on top of that, they continue to be good friends, which also because they never closed the door on the kiss on the gay yeah. relationship element. I mean, you they, see, like, again, we have more time Shug jumps does and stuff. get married. But what's so funny is, yeah, there's quite a bit of time jumps, and Suge eventually does get married, and she uh, brings her new husband back there. And, then and they're, they, like, getting ready, both Mr. and Celie, and they're both like, yay! It's so funny. It's so they, funny. So, like, Suge leaves, so and Celie is very upset, and, and everybody in the household kind of gets upset again. And then later on, Suge comes back. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens that we're not even going to be able to talk about, because it's yeah. just, it encompasses so much. So Watch we're trying to get... Just Seely's story out before we discuss it. Um, Suge comes back and she's married. They don't know that she's married when she comes back. And both she and Mr. This is what Carly was saying. They're they're so excited to see her because they both think that Suge Avery is there for them. And then she brings her new husband in. And they are both so messed up about it. They are so grumpy. And again, this is not to, you know, soften any of the abuse that Mr. Pulls on Celie, and mm. she she lets him have it later for that. But it is funny how I, I think there's so little nuance when we talk about like, abusive relationships or specifically, I think, just people who have been in abusive relationships. Their lives aren't defined by those instances of abuse while it's still wrong and it shouldn't be happening and we should absolutely do what we can to put an end to abusive relationships there is so much more to the life of someone who is in an abusive relationship than just those instances of abuse which is very interesting to see in this film this film does like i said i said it before it does everything. i say it again like it it just does so much and it fleshes out all its characters like there's movies now that we watch and it's two and a half hours and i'm like did i learn anything about anyone who wasn't Evan Hansen? No. <laughs> like, this, I don't know, it can be the same amount of time, and I just feel like they did such more care. Like, every character has flaws, 
yeah. and redemptions and like there Real is such growth. give and take there is growth they grow and they, they learn like they're, they're human beings they're human beings and like mr is uh, no different like a human being yeah and they show that <laughs> he takes a long long time to get to any point of redemption but mm-hmm. he does just He's barely gets being. it in there at the, gets end. It in at the end um he they are both really upset that she's there with her husband. I basically, long story short, Sugary, while she's visiting, though, does help Celie find letters that Mister had been hoarding from her from her sister for who, all for of these literally, years. Literally, yeah. Like, and this is, mind you, like thirty years after they got married, and he kicked Nettie out of the house. So, like, she's had this whole journey, and we get like a sumptuous twenty minutes just learning about like what the fuck has been happening with Nettie and she like went to Africa with this missionary family um and, and they got to experience like British imperialism British imperialism in like, Africa and British imperialism is bad and the, it's so bad call back the to the only thing that Mary, in common with, with makes Mary. movies good is that British British imperialism is bad. bad. So. We got we cut uh, railways through Africa in two movies that we're discussing this year, which really we didn't. Trains are a big thing. Trains in this season. I have to say, thinking about some of the, the stuff things that, that are we're coming about out to discuss, trains are a thing. Think it's a trains, common theme. People think trains. <laughs> and Seely then being emboldened with the friendship of Suge Avery and from her sister being alive all these years, uh, stands up to Mr. And is like, you're a fucking dick. I'm leaving. And he's like, no, you're not. And she's like, I am getting in Suge Avery's car and I am leaving this house. <laughs> Has a fantastic monologue. She does. It's such oh a good monologue. Gosh. Oh my God. It's the most, <laughs> it's the most vindicating thing to listen to it's just like it's just like a wave of relief after yeah. this like tumultuous relationship and everything after this really looks up for Celie like her stepdad who she finds out is her stepdad not her actual dad which is still what he did to her is still unconscionably awful but she gets the blessing of knowing that it wasn't actually incest. And she finds out her children actually were adopted by the couple that Nettie stayed with. And they all went to Africa together. Basically, it's a small world after all. Crazy coincidence. (laughs) Things start working out. So she winds up inheriting property from her actual father. Well, actually from her mother. Her mom. Because her dad died and the property passed to her mom. um, And it somehow never went into the hands of her stepdad. And then when her mom passed, that land or maybe it was in the care when, of her stepfather but yeah, then, then when he she passed. was the only heir to a, a, an entire property really yeah. um this is also set in georgia and i think remarkable not because there's there were so few cases of this to exist but because it's so rarely documented and and shown in um mainstream media this is mm-hmm. a this is a community of black business owners, landowners and business owners in Georgia at the turn of the century into kind of the 19, late 1930s. Um, and she inherits property. So like she, she, she becomes a female gay black land owning person in 
1938? something like that. Which is wild. Like, that's <laughs> then just incredible. in the 1980s. Starts her own like, business. She starts making pants for people. And she finally she does pants. get to reunite with her sister and her children. Mm-hmm. Which mister does orchestrate he figures it out by the Mm. end um that he is part of a cycle of abuse and seely talks to him about that or yells at him about that that like everything that you've done to me your daddy did to you and it just talks i it shows a lot of generational trauma and generational Mm -hmm. abuse um and there's like two white people in this whole damn movie which is not about them great it's not about them at all um, that is 20 minutes, and honestly, I'm surprised we even got it in. That's... <laughs> yeah, we did it. Time for a break. Time for a break. <laughs> and then we will come back and tell you why it's great, other than the fact that we just told you a little bit about why it's great. Correct. We'll see you after the break. So here's the thing. With Grace and Carly, and it's season two. We have been able to do all this thanks to this free app called Anchor. We use their creation tools to create our podcast just how we want it. And then it does all the work distributing it to places like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. And we make money! That's right, folks. You two can talk into the oblivion and get paid to do it. So no matter the size of your following, even if you still only have those 12 listeners... Or if you're mega famous like us. Well, more or less. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on your very own podcast. We're Welcome back! Welcome back, everybody. Um, Did jumping you- right in, let's talk about them intersections, yo. This movie is so intersectional, and I, I think that this film i in fairness the book is intersectional and the fact that they made a movie so rapidly is also fairly radical yeah um it is ahead of its time surely because of its intersectionality like Like, there's movies today that are not that will not be ever as intersectional as this one is stop the conversation by saying the film ends with a black queer woman owning property and being delighted in her own identity yeah. without ending up with the man a happy ending maybe ending up with Suge Avery. that was a little ambiguous i wish it wasn't but <laughs> but that that would really be all we need to say in the year 1985 1985 the year that little pizza table thing was invented oh boy all right. It was invented then. <laughs> I Which love fun like facts for some of these old ones, guys. <laughs> along with black protagonists, feels like should have happened should a lot sooner <laughs> than it did. That's not far back enough. <laughs> it's really, it's quite unbelievable that both of those things were so <laughs> radical in the year 1985. Um, so that's a little embarrassing. <laughs> However, <laughs> this film specifically... Although it is not the first, we were doing some research on this, it's definitely not the first queer film of all time. No. Um, and it's more ambiguous than I would like it to be. I remember reading the book, which my mom told me to read this book, which is so funny because my family is not particularly LGBTQ plus affirming. My mom told me to read this book and I remember it. it is quite erotic when it comes to Celie and Suge Avery's relationship in fact 
that what's it's unfortunate that the film isn't as radical as the book is although i think written media is able to get away with a lot more partially just because you you don't have to spend as much money yeah to get it out there yeah Um, write it (laughs) and so people are not as concerned about you know their investments with Mm -hmm. books it works or it doesn't and then you've just wasted a couple thousand dollars on like printing some shit um the the sex scenes between Celia and Suge are very graphic, and that is actually exceptionally radical because Celia talks about just, like, learning things about her body and her own sexual experience, mm-hmm. stuff that was not talked about in the 80s in any sphere whatsoever yeah. for women at all, just talking about... They, like, lightly hint at that. They do. In the movie, it's like, oh, well, I guess if you've never, like experience love then you're a virgin and then they the things progress and so on and so forth Um, exactly and i would say the kiss between seely and suge avery is it's kind of like a it's it's like a four-part kiss and i think after the first two you can no longer say it's just endearment yeah like they do suge kisses her like on the cheek and on the forehead. And I'm like, those are the only two you get. And everything that happens after that, there's like a kiss on the lips and then Celie like kind of pulls away and then kisses her back. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that, the, you get the first two as endearment. And after that, it is no longer ambiguous. That's gay. gay. It's gay. It's gay. And it, like I said, much less ambiguous in the books. However, I... I find this to be radical, even though they softened that so much, because of how mainstream this film was. And yeah. I want to bring up the director, and there's two sides to this coin, because there's also a negative and uh, the way in which this is a bit regressive because of this director. But they mm-hmm. hired Steven goddamn Spielberg to direct <laughs> this film. In 1985. In 1985, about a queer woman of color. hmm who they wanted it to be mainstream they wanted it to be mainstream they like, they wanted and i think partially it's because the book was popular but there was a considerable effort to bring the story of this queer black woman into the mainstream which to be honest y'all i have not seen a lot of even in the years that we're living through today yeah grace and it i did some research feels so hard to center a gay black perspective like even now even on television Mm -hmm. people are having trouble getting the recognition they deserve in roles like that like i'm thinking about um i may destroy you with uh Mm -hmm. michaela cole and that's what that is i mean it's not the color purple but it's (laughs) it's a queer black woman yeah but she has trouble getting any kind of awards recognition Mm -hmm. she lost out to like fucking emily in paris oh my gosh oh boy like the the uh, I was in a theater class and we were talking about all these different things and like what we came to the realization is that most of the time you get one thing you get one thing that can be a little bit off you're either yeah. queer you're a woman uh, you're disabled uh, like you get one mm-hmm. and that's and then that's everything it. else has to adhere to the norm everything the has norm to... obviously being straight white men straight <laughs> white male able bodied cisgendered um. All of the identities with privilege. Yes. Um, And 
this story is just so completely not that in every aspect. And again, I don't know that Steven Spielberg was the right director for this film, although I do think he actually, in terms of a concise, Mm -hmm. well-told story, did a good job. And Um, not as an excuse, but they did bring Alice Walker, like in and had her help she was a consultant on the film alice walker is the author of the the author yes um i don't know if steven spielberg was the best director but steven spielberg was the director in 1985 yeah like that that is an indictment of how important this project is to give it to steven spielberg's direction is a big big deal on the little like Fun facts of 1985, where I told you the pizza thing came. <laughs> um, it has, like, the list of, like, the biggest movies of the time. Um, and The Color Purple is number four. So it made it in the top five. Yeah. As far as, like, big movies. The other ones are stupid. Are stu- I mean, I love them. but the they're future. They're stupid because they're, like, mindless entertainment. But I actually do have to say, knowing that Back to the Future is the first, as much as Back to the Future is completely nothing, I'm also shocked that the color purple even reached remotely close to <laughs> the like popularity that that yeah. back to the future gained because back to the future requires no critical thinking <laughs> it requires less than critical it, thinking. it requires le- like <laughs> frankly you are at a disadvantage if you're a critical thinker watching back to the future so it is a great movie to go see in theaters for fun and not you know do any thinking about it yes so the fact Versus the that color purple. in that year, the color purple still made it into the top five. Like, Rambo is the other yeah, one. Yeah, Rambo and Rocky. <laughs> Rambo and Rocky. Also Again, not big critical Don't think movies. about it. So the fact that it did that well and that the studio that produced it, I don't know, which studio produced it? I don't know. I didn't look that part up. I'm going to find out it's the Weinstein Company, aren't I? I no. I would, we won't even look it up, but because it doesn't really matter. It's just the fact that the, the amount of effort and money and time was put into this film is a big deal. Quite radical for 1985. Mm-hmm. We're also it's in the middle of the AIDS epidemic here, which mm-hmm. I recognize doesn't affect lesbians or people who sleep with women in the same way that it people affects people who sleep with men. But just like... The culture of queerness. Exactly. The culture of queerness was fanned into, like, the fear of queerness, homophobia, um, was fanned into a flame at this point in history, which is funny when we look at the list of queer films. Mm -hmm. And I think there were some more radical queer films almost exclusively with, like, maybe one exception, white queer films. Yeah, no, looking at the list, it's... I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of the history of queerness in film, um, because you get, like, 1900... Like, 19000... Whatever, that was not a a real year. Get over it. Um, So when we start making movies, you get some, like, some here and there, but again... Very white, um, and very just, like, not real. And they're like, eh, we love everyone, and nothing is matter. And then you have the Hayes Act, or order, or rule. I don't remember the exact word, but it's Hayes. The 30s to the 70s. From the 30s to the 70s, where it's like, you are not allowed to create films with queer characters. And so that's when you have a lot of the queer coding. But again, the queer coding comes in with villains. And you see this a lot in in Disney and things like that as well. But, like, all the films are... Most of the time, it's queer coding 
villains. And that's mm. not great. <laughs> you get a brief reprieve in the 70s, but then... Once but again, the, they're very white, and they're they're jokes. They're, they're archetypal, or it's a documentary, and yeah. that's maybe a little bit ahead of its time. But most documentaries are because most documentaries, that's kind of the purpose. Yeah. So then you get the AIDS epidemic, and and everybody becomes afraid of all queerness because it feels like it, it's marketed initially as a punishment for being gay. Yeah. <laughs> so. Even, and and also, stories about gay women, especially black gay women, are so rare to begin with mm-hmm. for this story to be told in such an epic way with this kind of budget was quite, quite radical for It still looks so good. You know how you watch some movies and sometimes you're like, oof, that's kind of old. Mm-hmm. But you watch this movie and you don't, I don't leave feeling that way. No. And I think it's because, like, as the history continues down this chart, it gets worse again, guys. Like, it's it just like, worse. they're grasping at straws. They're like, no, it got better. And I'm like, did it, though? Did it because really? it seems like you're grasping at some terrible straws. We get a little bit better in terms of queerness on television. But I was just saying to Carly during the break, it's like, in terms of representation for queer black women, one, they're having to make their own stories, which is good in terms of storytelling, I think, mm-hmm. but also much harder on the population that's trying to get their stories listened to. Michaela Cole, who does the I May Destroy You, um, which I still need to watch because mm-hmm. um, I haven't yet and I've been told it's really good. But that's that's what the story is about as a queer black woman mm-hmm. and... She keeps losing out at award shows <laughs> to Emily in fucking Paris. <laughs> and although I think we have, we just have more content right now. Like, I don't know that we have a higher ratio of yeah. content telling the stories of intersectional Intersectionality, people. I was going to say. Yeah, anyone with more than one thing that's not... What we expect it and to so be. And so we have some of that, but it's it's a staggeringly low number considering how long it's been since something like The Color Purple has come out. Yeah. What was it that you were saying you're like, that came out recently, and you're like, this is not that much more radical than The Color Purple? What was that that we were oh, talking about? Oh, God. Um, oh, and, and this is no Tino shade to this film, is Moonlight. Mm. It's obviously more... Um, explicit in the exploration of queerness and and more intentional about the exploration of queerness and blackness and it's Terrell Alvin McCraney's story and he I believe also wrote and directed it oh I don't know who wrote it but I know he directed it yeah I'm not 100% positive about that but yes he directed it um and and it's I, I again this is not to detract anything from Moonlight whatsoever. I think it's an incredible film. But we also hailed Moonlight as just a revelation when it came out. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just odd. It feels like barely a next step from The Color Purple, right? But Is like that, that that's that's 30 natural, years later. The natural step up from Color Purple would be right like 
maybe a contemporary story that actually explores the queerness in a little bit more meaningful way. But that took 30 years! 30 years! <laughs> How did it take 30 years? Nothing was made in that time period. It's not like, oh, well, things just, like, slipped through the crack and didn't win an award. There's, I like, don't want to say nothing was made because I don't know okay, film I don't know well film enough. That one, but, but like, the fact that I don't know of a film... The fact that The Color Purple ranked in the four, like, yeah. in the top five of that, and then nothing really ranked... High and enough for us to talk about it. had to fight fucking La La Land. <laughs> oh, that was so staged. That whole it was Oscars thing was so but staged. But also, that's because they couldn't just give it with. to them, right? I'm like, why like, can't that you just give that to that? Because they wanted the they wanted the ratings, and they weren't going to just get the ratings because they they're the worst. Uh. Because we hate. Everyone. Everyone we hate. And so they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get the ratings this way. And it was stupid. It was dumb. And the Oscars are terrible. Correct. The Oscars end. are terrible. This podcast isn't about the Oscars, thoughts. but someday it might be. And how awful award shows are and how completely unnecessary they are yeah, to they're just not giving our world and artistic creation. We should just have eight Met Galas <laughs> a year so that we can see the fancy dresses. I don't even want eight Met Galas. I just want eight red carpets to see the pretty dresses. Maybe I just want eight fashion weeks. Do I want eight fashion weeks? I don't, I don't know, know what I want. I don't need that many. I'll take like one a quarter. I like seeing take celebrities four. in cool clothing. I think it's but I'd like be happy with four. passingly interesting, but I don't need, we don't need award shows. We've transcended past the need for them. Um, that's not what this podcast is about, but I think it's important, it's just important to talk about the way that the color purple kind of stands alone. We also don't get a lot of black epics that are exclusively black stories. The only thing I can think of that's kind of akin to this is Roots. And, and Mm. Roots is also incredible, but two things about it. One, it's a television program, so they... They had a little bit more time to fully develop it. Mm-hmm. And also, it's it's important to tell the story of slavery and a family's journey out of slavery. And it is a good story, but there's so much trauma in Roots. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. I remember it worse than it was because I watched it in middle school, which was way too young. Ah. <laughs> yeah, they showed it to us in eighth grade history, which is kind of insane to me. I mean, like, I'm shook because the teacher that showed it to me was this like staunch libertarian like ron swanson type teacher and i'm like i can't <laughs> believe you right. showed us roots but like okay you showed eighth grade boys re- anyway <laughs> um there's also so much black trauma mm-hmm. and and there is there, there is there's... joy as well but it's about slavery which is not joyful much much more traumatic the color purple is traumatic absolutely mm-hmm. but I think because it is a self-reliant community, mm. like th- this is a this is a black landowning community. You also get to see immense amounts of joy. It's it's just There's it's a a lot of levity and and joyful moments and just like when people are together and the joy that like being together can bring and things like that. And like most there's... epic stories, even now about black people our journeys out of slavery. Yeah. Like, thinking about the last few films that have been sold to us as epics about black people are about slavery. And that's not to say, like, 
racism still plays a role in the color purple, but when oh, it takes yeah. the back seat I mean, to Celie's journey. Yeah. But we see it we it's not forgotten. Like it's not forgotten. Because it's still Oprah's character, like we see so much of that in that in her in her plot as well of just like how that that dynamic mm-hmm. plays a part in it. Yeah. So like it is not forgotten. Side <laughs> note, there aren't any good white people. Um, no good and that's people. important. It's not I, I don't think it's the thing that makes this movie the most radical, although I have to say we have had very few projects that haven't had the like token one good white savior, person. Yeah. The token good white savior in there recent years. And no this one doesn't have savior. it and bless it for not having it. <sighs> we do need to turn around and talk about the elements that make this movie not as radical that we're running out no of time. Grace. I know, I'm so sorry. So um, my least favorite part is when we have to talk about the opposite of why we're talking about it. We will, we have to do the rebuttal. We, because I don't know, I'm making up this rule right now, it's not like we're running. No, you like told me this rule when we did argument. Mary Poppins, so it's anyway, fine. Anyway, we gotta um, do it. The director is Steven Spielberg, white. he's a straight white man, I think a straight white man. I should double check that, but I'm pretty sure he's straight. Um, I think he did an excellent job directing this film, but he did absolutely skimp on the gay. Um, He admitted that, actually. He admitted that people were very frustrated with him. Diehard fans of the book were very frustrated with him for skimping on Celia and Shug's relationship. Didn't Um, he do that because he wanted to keep a PG-13 rating? He did. And, like, he did kind of apologize for it, and then he said he also wouldn't change what he did. And Uh. I actually do get what he's saying. He wanted the film to be widely accessible to people, and at that time, he wasn't going to get a light rating if he did anything sexual with those characters, which is such a bummer, and that is the MPAA being the villain yet again. Nah. I have a big rant coming up about them in a couple of episodes. We're about next week. Yeah. Ooh, next week. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I have a big rant about the MPAA. (laughs) Um, But I, I get it. But also, he talks about not being the right director for that film, mm-hmm. and specifically for that relationship. And I, I appreciate Steven Spielberg for being able to admit that, but he yeah. is probably right, unfortunately, <laughs> at the end of the day. Yes. Although I think he did do a good job, this should have had a black female director. Um, mm-hmm. At that time, there were not many of the caliber... Well, not of the caliber, that's the wrong way to phrase it. There were not black female directors that were recognized to the degree that they there should have still been. aren't. And like, there still hold aren't. Up, like, we can't make Ava DuVernay do everything. Yeah. <laughs> she is great. They're I out love there. Her. They're they, out there. They exist and they're wonderful and they're going to make beautiful art, but we just don't We don't know them. who they are. And like, and listen, Ava DuVernay is amazing and she's done wonderful projects, but she cannot direct everything. Yeah. And she can't direct every story about a black woman, so hire a new black female director. Jesus Christ. Hire of six and um, ten and then and 25. That just segues into the other thing that's less radical about this is just that it's not as as radically gay as the yeah. book is. <laughs> like, I, I think... a little bit. From what I remember of the novel, the, the, the way that the black community is portrayed. It feels a little dicey in the beginning because it feels like it's making a commentary that's specifically negative about black men. And I think there are times where it toes the line of that being a bit of a problem, but I think they actually take the time to break that down even in the film and talk about sort of why that exists and Mm -hmm. the generational trauma that that stems from. And so they actually do give a fully fleshed out picture. It really is specifically the queerness that they deeply skimp on. And that was something that was incredibly radical about the book. Yeah. Um, And that's a bummer to me. 
as a gay. Um, Because it is. It was an opportunity. It was was so close. It was so close. It was so close. I think that's what also is just. That's the hardest part. Is it's so close and we can't give it can't give it full points because you're so close. But it (laughs) was that kiss, and then they did kind of like just end up casually like living together at the end of the film. Don't know where her husband husband just disappears. I shit you not. They drive away in the yellow car from (laughs) Mister's house, and then we never see her husband again for the rest of the movie. Even though there's another half hour of the film, so. I don't know. You tell me what happened. Gay. Um, gay. <laughs> but we do actually need to call it quits because our time is running short. Aw. Well, it was fun talking with you guys. And by you guys, I mean Grace and you guys listening. Um, uh, thanks for listening, y'all. Yes. This was... was a really, like, emotionally um, filling movie to watch. I don't know how yeah. to describe it Fulfilling. other than that. Fulfilling. Yeah. 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 It was it was so it was good. It was You should watch it. It was ahead of its time. You should it, it's still good and in its time now. So go yeah. go watch it however you can. Find it. Get it. And then we'll see you next week for a roast. Ooh. We're gonna a roast and a guest star question mark? I think so, yeah. yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. If you like this podcast and can't get enough of Grace and Carly's hot takes, join us on our Patreon account. Where we have video segments, bonus content, and every episode of the podcast completely ad-free. We have monthly memberships for $3 a month or $5 a month. And if you commit for three months, you can get an awesome sticker. Plus, we will be sure to give you a shout out on our next episode. Head over to patreon.com forward slash so here's the thing. And help us reach our goal of 10 new subscribers this season. Setting the bar high. See you next time. Bye. Bye.